Hey everybody, it's Corey. This is going to be a uh, a fun one. We had to break up in two parts because our conversation with the, our guest lasted much longer than we both thought <laughs> it was going to, and we could have gone even longer. And you'll hear that. I um, just want to also make a note that there are some uh, technical glitches going on here. I try to cut around them as much as possible and clean them up with plugins. And it comes across okay. You're going to have some parts where. I couldn't cut around them because it was some really good information and really part of the conversation. If I lifted them out of there to where the audio was okay again, you wouldn't really know what the hell's going on. Uh, anyway, so we hope you enjoy it and uh, we'll catch you next week. Welcome to Crowding in the Garage. I'm Corey Cope. I'm still Freddie Woff. Freddie Woff. Still in Charlotte. Still. <laughs> still in Charlotte. Moving here. You guys have already looked at the podcast app. You know that this is not a kickstart. This is not a movie episode, but we've had just our third guest in today. And this is somebody that Freddie's worked with once before. Actually, the last movie, they worked together. We have cinematographer Eve Cohen. Welcome, Eve. Hi. Thanks for having me, guys. Hi, Eve. <laughs> I haven't seen you forever. It's so weird. Oh, it's been so long. Dude, I sounded so NPR right there. I apologize. <laughs> so What? NPR, man. You know, that, that thing that, never mind. Yeah, man. <laughs> <Where we> go? <laughs> NPR. You guys have been there since early November, right? Yeah. November, early November. Yeah, early November. And then you so took a- Sometime between the second and the ninth. You took a short break for uh, the holidays, which wasn't as short for most people because- Shorter for us. <laughs> yeah, because, for sure. Because of- uh, uh, wonderful, Omicron. Yeah. And how much that's, yeah, we'll get to that too, how much that's changed a film set. Because it definitely changes things where I'm at. We're in a building all day long. It's not any different when you're out on location, even outside. So Eve has a really interesting path in to becoming where she's at right now career-wise. Eve, what was the first creative endeavor that you got into that got you, um, I don't know, just where you're at now? Yeah, it's kind of hard to pick something that feels like it's like, oh, this is this pivot point in my life where like everything kind of shifted and this is what was going to happen. But I, I kind of have one of those. And I always was very engaged in art in some way, mostly photography and painting since I was very young. And I began developing black and white photography in a dark room when I was like 13, 14 years old. Um, and never wanted to do anything else. I just wanted to work in some kind of, I just basically wanted to create and wanted to make, wanted to make photography, make photographs and paint and just proceeded on as long as I possibly could doing that. So I went to undergraduate in LA for fine art and painting. And there was one summer over, I think it was my junior year that the art school is next to the film school. And I was in LA and I was like, oh, movies are fun, you know, but I really, my background is so heavy in art and art and theory and history. But I was interested in film just because it was, you know, another kind of medium. And I took a cinematography course that I would, they offered over the summer because I wasn't eligible to take one during the year. And this is going to sound very like naive in a sense, but uh, there was a film camera up at the front of the room and we were running film through it and I was watching it going, oh, it's just 24 frames of exactly what I've been doing my whole life, but it's just moving. And I was like, oh, that'll be fun. Now it's going to move. Let's do that. <laughs> and I was just, my mind was completely blown 
by the possibility that all of these still frames that I had been taking and composing and exposing and printing for so long could now move. Right. I was like, and that's somebody's job that they get to do that. I was like, all right, that, that's what I'm going to go to. I mean, that's super cool. I honestly, until you just said I had never even like my thought probably never. I, but now that you say that it literally, I guess that's really what it is. I mean, that's, uh, I looked I mean, at the it's front. The simplest form. And it was a very complicated camera. It was complicated, but not a complicated camera, but it was something I hadn't seen. And they took the film out. I was like, oh, that looks like a negative. Right. Oh, and it moves. And then I like went through all of this history I had of the history of moving images and Moybridge and the horse and the, you know, everything where you know what motion means and how to see motion. But when it was, I guess I'm such an, such a visual analog person that I had to see the actual negative and see that it was a frame and then see that it moved. And I just then thought, oh, I can do that. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Of course. Um, yeah. It's it's funny. I just never broke it down to its simplest form like that. Yeah. And then when there was like other frame rates, I was like, wait a second. So hold on now. What what are these other ones doing? Right. Wow. Yeah. I, yeah, that's, that's super interesting. And it doesn't sound naive. It literally sounds, I mean, it's probably this one of the smartest things I've heard. It was very practical. It was very practical. And I just, so I saw, I took that course and I was completely obsessed with the idea that you could progress your image in a sequence or a series. So I started working and doing photography that was basically only in book form. And it only went from like start to finish in like a pure book and you had to see the whole thing. And then I went to grad school for cinematography at UCLA also and studied there for, it's a three or four year program, it was pretty intense. But I had no background in film. I knew nothing about filmmaking at all. I knew everything there is to know about photography and how to expose and how to create images and um, how to even work with light in a way because of painting and that kind of background that I had. But um, I mean, I didn't know what a boom was. I didn't know, (laughs) you know, and and coming from an art background where it's so isolated, you're by yourself, you're creating in this vacuum of your own ideas, having a collaborative force around you in a film it was a great, wonderful experience for me because it was new. And I had other people I got to talk to about the thing that we were creating. Right. I mean, one of the things I will say about your lighting, which I think is pretty amazing, is your use of light and in the way that you, you know, you sort of light like a painting. The stuff we did in the transitional house Mm -hmm. on the line is, it's it's some of the most beautiful stuff in the film. Thank you. I love that space. That room was great. And there's really, it's, it's the most minimal space in the movie. Yeah, which, which when there's nothing there, you have to give it shape with something. You right. have to, like, yeah. it is a blank canvas. Like, you gave me a blank canvas on a wall. Right. There was a bed, and there was nothing on that wall, and I did something with that. No, it's amazing. I mean, I, I, you know, like I said, it's, it's some of my favorite stuff, in the, and we shot Montana. I should also add that I, I did try to work a little bit as a photographer, and I had so much of me caught up into the photography I was doing that I really needed to find some kind of career where someone had to hire me to do a thing for them because I'd give away paintings and photographs. But if you tried to buy them, I'm like, no, it's like priceless. Like you can't, like, I don't know. I don't know. (laughs) Like I, my, uh, I would say that my ego is too caught up in that side of the work. Right. So it's, it's tied into that. And I think it's easier for me as a cinematographer to be flexible a bit with the director, with the film and with what we're creating to not be so 
locked in. I can still create something that I am proud of and the image that I want that's telling the story in the way we want to. But it's if it's not my entire idea, I'm not so attached to it. Right. Oh, it was interesting that how you went from working in photography and then still image and seeing the 24 frames per second aspect of it. When, but when I was a kid and he may remember this Fisher price made this thing called the movie Fisher price movie camera. And you could put cartridges in there and it had a little crank on the side and you could actually literally like when you, the, the, the playback of the cartridge that was a moving picture, but it was predicated on how quickly you cranked the mm. reel. So you literally, you literally could go frame by frame. So at four or five years old, I was already learning about film and how it worked and how the moving images worked. Uh, so when I got into photography after that, uh, and I started learning more about cinematography, when I got older into my teens, I'm like, then I kind of remembered back to like, oh my gosh, this is just like a bigger version of the little Fisher Price movie camera that I used to have. I'm looking on eBay right now. They have one. I want to buy they, it. I was just going to say, they need to bring that back. <laughs> I was poor. We I need that. Books. <laughs> flip books. Those were also great. But all of these yes. things, and like we had like video cameras growing up and stuff like that, but that did never compute it. Like it did not compute until I saw this film come out of the mag. Yeah. Well, it's like, that's the, uh, that's the epiphany, right? The yeah. moment where you're like, Oh, wait. No. So, so I guess there is an literally yes. an exact moment. I was the like, exact moment. It's funny to say that. Cause usually there isn't this moment in your life where you're like, Oh no, this is the thing that went that way. Right. I guess even in that moment, I was like, Oh no, that's, that's the thing. It's going to be that. Like now everybody's got a phone in their hand. They can do so much more than we could when we were younger. And my son, who's 15, he's learning more and more about this stuff. And he's got this great video production class he's in. And when he, I got his curriculum and I'm not kidding, Eve, it's a film school. They're giving, they're teaching him three act structure. They're discussing scene, discussing framing composition. They're just, it's so cool. So now when he has his phone, I make him use Filmic Pro where he can set the thing for 24 frames per second. I'm like, don't worry about what Apple tells you and don't use that camera. Use this app mm -hmm. and try to teach him more about how film is shot and how, what over cranking is and under cranking is and that kind of stuff. And he's really interested in that. That's not often you can get people, you know, especially teenagers. Now there's so many things pulling them in different directions for their attention to have that and, and still be interested in doing it. It's, it's cool seeing that because we had ways of getting there. Like, again, I started off in drawing. My, my grandparents were, were big artists. My father, my grandfather was a sculptor and he did, I mean, everything. I've always had art in my life. So when I got into still photography, I used his 120. It was my first still camera. I was, he's like, <laughs> he really went old school. I mean, made me learn how to, to, to use all that stuff while everybody else was showing up with their, their dad's Canon's A1s and, and, and all that stuff. I was learning on big old medium format. When I started getting into the, the, the cinematography side of things and learn more about that, I realized that it was more suited for other things, but to learn all that from that stage, it's great. Mm -hmm. Now you started, you noted that you started in film as far as your photography goes. Yeah. How has digital changed, not just your still work, but your cinematography? I think of digital sensors as if they are film stocks in a way, or I create them as if it's a film stock. So I think of um, negatives as layers and light having to seep through the layers to get to the actual place where it's, you know, exposed and recorded in a sense. So sensors and digital cameras 
the, the range that they have in comparison to what you used to have with negatives is so vast that I think that that's been the biggest shift is the flexibility within the sensors that are out there for digital. And I'm actually, this film we're doing is in large format. So it's been really rewarding because like you're talking about medium format and, you know, different sizes, everyone's been in the super 35 or 35 millimeter world for so long that to kind of open up the field of view and the angle of view with the same kind of lenses has been really fun to kind of get back to that. I didn't get my first digital camera until um, maybe 2007, 2008. It was just a simple point and click because it was, it was priced way too far out of my, my budget to get anything with, you know, like real interchangeable lenses. Just to mean to make the, the digital version of, of my old Canon. I was at the early stages of Red when they first came around. And I mean, they kind of set the tone for digital being what it is now and being so encompassing. And it was more about flexibility, but on the post-production side and heck, even on the practical side on set, when you're working digital, it's tough because you have to do everything to make sure that you didn't have a variety of issues. I mean, at least with, with film, you know, you got it. <laughs> and with digital, you don't, yeah. the concern is, did it copy over? Did the backups work? You, and you have to verify that stuff before you move on. Yeah. It's, it's really stressful. I like having a negative. That's actually a negative. Right. Um, it would be great if they could make, you know, digital mags come down in a way that you could create, keep it as a negative, but they just, it's not how they, that's not how they're designed. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> way too expensive. Yeah. And this, the sales pitch has always been like, oh, you'll save time. And actually from what my experience, it does, it's done the opposite. Yeah. And I, I think that there's a discipline with film that's been lost with digital right. where there's a lot of continuing to roll and there's a lot of, oh, you know, just a lot of extra heads and tails on takes that I think can go away. Or could go away. Right. Like, hey, well, let's try this. You know, things that you couldn't do on film because you had a limited amount. Yeah. Uh, you know, this is like, it's like now it's unlimited. So it's just like. Well, it feels unlimited, but it really isn't. Right. Because I have a lot of conversations about right. what one minute of actual record time equals out to with all the backups that you need with post, with LTOs, with everything. Right. So there's like, it's like the, it's like the misnomer, mm -hmm. right? Like everyone's like, oh no, we just shoot, shoot, shoot. But you can't really just right. continue. Well, you, shoot, in shoot. certain settings, sure. right? In certain scenarios, sure. It's, it's very, it's not what movies are doing though. Right. You know, but you're, you know, anyone who's working in Filmic Pro on their phone can probably just keep shooting. Right. That size is not going to hurt anybody. What's coming out of there. Right. But when you get into the more, uh, the bigger files with a higher bit rate and, you know, has all of the information that you want to maintain in that image, it comes with a pretty hefty data size. Then that's what's just as important. Like, I mean, the equivalent now to digital is, is a DIT as a equivalent to a loader is a DIT, but a DIT has got to do so much I'm more. Say, we don't, I don't have one on this movie. Are you kidding me? Wow. No. no. And you know what I say when someone says I don't have a DIT? I say, oh, that's fine. We'll just pretend it's film. <laughs> that's perfect. And then they're like, just look at me like I'm a little crazy for a second. And I was like, no. <laughs> so I, my process for digital is like I was saying, I, I create everything like a, a film stock. So I, um, I have a base LUT that I use for, uh, we're shooting on, um, airy large format right. and I have a base LUT that I use and I've customized it for this job in particular. And that is my negative. That's my film stock. 
that's what we're using. And that's what I monitor off of. And I have like one main monitor that I flip between the two cameras on. And I have two smaller ones that I use as like scopes. And uh, that's how I'm doing this. That's so key. By the way, I'm always interested in what digital format people are using, what camera they're using. But my feeling is that Airy really produces the most film-like image out there. And it, it shows. There's times where I've seen a movie in a theater and I'm like, whoa, that was, I thought that was film. And it, it's, they've, yeah. they've really, they've really pushed to make sure. I mean, you expect that from them. <laughs> they're a film company. They're a film camera company. You expect them to be able to get to that point now. And I, I find that I'm glad you you pointed out the, the importance of onset LUTs to make sure you guys are getting your image that you want and not playing around with it too much. That's, I like the technology, by the way, it's changed so much. You can see that in real time. Now you don't have to process it on a laptop sitting over here and everyone's trying to look at it, surrounding the little DIT station, looking at, looking yeah. at the image to make sure. Now, don't get me wrong. There's definitely been a handful of times where I look at something and I have like a mini panic about chroma spikes or a <laughs> color that's like going to square out. And I just stare at it for a while and, you know, ask a couple other brains around me and that <laughs> yeah. we all, you know, you know, come to a point where I'm like, okay, I have solutions. I was like, okay, if that doesn't work, then this is going to be what we're going to do. And, you know, there's, there's definitely moments where not having a DI team <laughs> causes a little bit of stress. Uh, yeah. A little, a little uh, momentary panic. I mean, but you're, I, I'm going to say it, it's, it's fun to watch you work because you're, you know, you don't get rattled much. Inside. No, of course. But rattled I mean, on the you're, inside. You're, you're a pretty cool customer. For me, like one of the things, like your framing uh, of the sets, it, you know, I, I feel like that's another place where you really excel is your framing. It helps it, the, the lighting and your framing choices keep it looking like film and not like, I mean, I don't want to shit all over like Netflix and things, but a lot of no, but there's looks flat and there's no dimension to it. And, and, and what we're doing on both these films, um, you know, when I'm look, when I look at individual frame grabs, they look like photographs. That's the, hope. that's the plan. Correct. That's the plan. I, I know it's, it's just a photograph. It just moves. Right. It just moves. So back make to, a photograph and then one. it moves. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but it's also that there's, I think, one of the things, there are so many, but one of the things I greatly appreciate about the work that you do and the way that you go about it is that I like to look at a space and let somebody be in it. And I will light a space the way that the space should be lit. And I'll accentuate depending on where somebody is or kind of paint in something somewhere. But the framing is about the space. So there's so many times where I think a lot of films are easy to say like, oh, it's just coverage, coverage, coverage. And of course, sometimes you get into those scenes of just having to film someone's face inside of this or a person sitting somewhere. But if you frame somebody with the idea of the space in mind first and where you want, if they weren't in that frame, what would you frame? Well, this is my shot. Okay, now just put them in there. Right. And then it'll work. <laughs> yeah, it, well, it's it's funny because uh, the, the one thing in this, this the ski house, I was looking at some of the stuff, and uh, it looks like everything was shot, and then we just dropped the people in. Yeah, that's what well, I that's tried. What there was a couple scenes where I couldn't do sure, it, but, but yes, it yeah, just yeah, framed, I mean, and then you put people in there right. as part of they're the it's part of the landscape. It's part of the landscape, yeah. but it's but it's you know it's, that's also what I try to do with lighting, and and I I have to also attribute Mike Mislin to so much of my lighting because he is so so crucial to also being able to know 
way that I'm going to like the space to feel. Right. Um, and Mike Miss is my gaffer who I've worked with on three. This will be the third film he and I have done. Um, he, he did the last film with Freddie and I as well. And he's on this one. And our conversations are, are also general. They're about where is our key coming from? Where, what is our white and what is our exposure level? And then he kind of just builds it around that. Right. I know how valuable Mike is. I see it every day. Yeah. <laughs> Keeps things moving. That Always a step ahead. Yes. Being somebody that, that, you know, I've, I've seen a lot of Freddie's lookbooks for things that he's worked on or things that he was going out for. My experience, I mean, one of the things when we sat down to have coffee to even talk about doing the show, like we instantly got along and I've always felt like if you're agreeable, then the collaborations eat much, much easier. I've felt, I've always felt like Freddie has a way about him is he has a certain professionalism that if he clicks with you and, or if he tells me something like, like, like he raved about you when you guys were on mending, like, so am I going, all right, she's a good egg (laughs) because if if he's complimenting you or even not saying anything about you, I'm like, then, then I'm like, oh, she's, she's cool. Right. Uh, But he really just, I mean, honestly, I've, I've seen some stills from, one of the locations when you guys are out catching a fly fishing stuff. And I'm like, Oh man, I can't wait to see this movie. I'm so excited to see it. It looks good. I did the color grade on it. Oh, it yeah. looks oh good. 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 And I wanted to talk about that a little bit too. Cause I feel like some cinematographers are involved in the timing and the grading to a certain point, And then sometimes they're there all the way through. Um, I have to I have a feeling on, on smaller movies that you're probably there most of the way. Would that be accurate? Um, I should have been, the grade was scheduled very early. They actually did a really fast edit on that film. And the grade was scheduled during the last week before production on this movie. Oh, man. So we had two days of prep. And then on this film, we started principal on Wednesday. Right. And the grade for, for mending the line was that exact same week mm. to starting on Tuesday. So I actually did the look set with the colorist, um, Andrea on Tuesday during the day before we started shooting, shooting, (laughs) there was, um, it was mostly camera prep and I was at the prep house here at Airy. There's an Airy rental prep house here in Charlotte. With your little kit? Yes. With my, uh, with my kit, which was great because they made all these kits for COVID because you had to do things remotely. Mm. So I had basically the iPad kit, um, and I was on, you know, the live stream, with uh, Andrea while we did the whole look set for the film. And that was the one day that I got to do that. Um, And I would have normally been there every single day. I think there was like maybe four or five more days. Um, There's two additional days coming up when they're putting uh, VFX in and I'll actually be in person for one of those. Freddie, maybe you'll get to come. Maybe I'll be there too. <laughs> I, be, I would really like to, because I, you know, like I told, I'm very interested. I learned a lot from you, Eve. I don't know if I ever told you that, but <laughs> I do. I mean, you know, I, I don't know everything. I don't pretend to know everything, but I have learned a lot uh, over the last six months, just about to be more uh, in tune with the cinematographer, as opposed to, I, I don't have this kind of Collaboration, friendship at this point. Yeah, totally. And like right. meeting of the minds on certain things. Right. Yeah. 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 It's just how it should be anyway. Um, I've learned a lot of things I didn't necessarily ever think about before. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I'm very excited to go sit. And- the color grades are great. And I think the, the movie that Freddie and I just did, 
is maybe the third or fourth collaboration, the one in Montana with that director for me. So that director and I have worked together a number of times. I think I also come at film and all the things that I kind of have my hand in being very uh, decisive about what I think is right and what I think is not right. So like, oh, there is a frame. And if you're, if you're keystoned by like two degrees, you're wrong. It's wrong. You have to fix that. I don't like things that keystone, I don't want it to be off level unless it's intentionally. So it's very, I'm very, very specific. So when I get into a grade, I did the entire look set for the entire film with Andrea in one day, because I can just go through the scenes and say, this wall has to be this match this to this. Like I know exactly what I want her to do to make the scenes flow the way it needs to go from the beginning of the film to the end. And I usually take notes on the scenes as I go so that when I do get to the grade, I can remind myself, oh, this is supposed to be a white that's, um, you know, we had uh, like a, a little bit of a color rendition problem. So I'm going to have to balance that out or, oh, I remember that wall. It was going to take me too long on set to be able to shape the wall the way I want. So let's just fix something in here a little bit. It takes, and I don't ever like to say that you can fix it in post. But what I like to say is that it will save us time and money if I do this in the grade. Right. Anyway, I'm very specific. That's, yes. No that's, one that's has why to I be. can do a grade pretty quickly because I'm like, no, 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 no. They're like, they adjust. I'm like, no, that's not right. No. It's a lot of no's. It's a lot of pointing. A lot of pointing, a lot of no. No. <laughs> finger up or finger straight ahead. <laughs> but when there's when you get it right, it's a big, big, very happy yes. <laughs> you were you guys on Mending guys were with Joshua Caldwell and you had mentioned working with him before and on mm -hmm. Infamous the year before. That movie has such a unique look to it. And it's right. It's got moments where it's got a muted colors and some moments where it's just, it's in your face and it's gorgeous. It's beautifully shot. And, look, and I, I love the movie, the way, it, the, the look of it. What I've seen just from trailers of your other work, I love that your voice is different from movie to movie. And sometimes you can see that with other like DPs that you grow up with. You can, you see, you can look something right away and go, Oh, I know who that is. But the really good ones, they fool you every time because they have such a, a toolkit full of different ways of looking something and adapting to the work itself. And you mentioned working in space. How does working in space of a practical set or working outside as opposed to working with builds that you haven't seen yet, how does that affect your, your overall prep? Um, first of all, that might be one of my favorite compliments ever. So thank you. <laughs> because I think I was pushed really a lot to find a voice to say, here is my signature. Here is what I do. And I just don't believe that. I think that you should be able to be flexible to the story to make things the way that they should be for that specific film. If you pigeonhole yourself some, with something, then you can't be but it's, uh, yeah, I think anyway, so thank you for that. And when it comes to sets and to builds, it's really working with the designer of that space and how that's going to be built. Because if like, if Freddie's designing a set, there is going to be a way that you're looking at that set. Like he's going to, you know, from what I've learned from you with things is that you stand in a space and then that's this is your vantage. Like there's a vantage point to it. Right. We wouldn't, we wouldn't have been able to I had to sell, I needed you to come with me for the hospital. I, I, I found the space, but I needed you to say, yes, this is, here's my idea, Eve. Can this work? And you're like, and then it, and yeah, you're like, yeah, totally. I see it. Yeah. And it did work. 
better than I. Well, and this, and this hospital, this is like an all locate. What, what do you call it? It's just like a, it's a build. On it's a, an installation. An basically. installation. You know, you have, you have a build that you have, you go into a space and then you create, you build out the space to create the set. Basically the walls were there. Yes. There were <laughs> walls and then we built it into a hospital. Like yeah. A triage center and a lobby. And we, you know, we built it in this, in a space that basically it, it had a big high, high, high ceiling. Which is great. I look at the ceiling, it's great. And then I look around and I go, oh my God, there's so many light so pictures many light in pictures. here. Uh, you know, there was, a, <laughs> there, there, was a, there was an entryway and then there were walls. And that the way things are scripted, sometimes you sort of have to walk through those kind of uh, mm-hmm. moments with the person who's going to be shooting it and say, hey, look, here's what I think we can do. I can accomplish this and this and this. Can we, can you make, can we make this work? Mm-hmm. And, uh, it wasn't even a hard sell. I thought I was going to have to like, I thought I was really, no, I, have a, I, I also think that we, I have a really, um, I have a very active imagination. So it's also easy for me to walk into a space and just, just like kind of close my eyes a little bit and say, Oh, I got it. All right. That's going to be over there. That's going to be over there. And I think with the hospital, the only kicker is I kind of, um, I like to set up rules or boundaries. So the only rule was that there was one shot I wanted where we were going to lead in the family on a steady cam and kind of do like an arc around them, like pivot with them at the nurse's station, arc around them and bring them to the, um, triage. the, triage, the area. triage area. When we got in the space, it just sort of looked with Freddie. I was like, all right, so where do I bring them from? Where are they going to start? And I was like, I guess they could start there. And we tried one pass and I was like, no, nah, I don't know if they start there. Maybe they start over here. And so it was like, you know, maybe 15, 20 minutes of us just looking to see where they would start to come in. And then Freddie also saying like, well, here's where I was thinking for the triage. And I was like, okay, so if the triage is here, they have to have, where's my pivot point? And I just work backwards. And then, yeah, yeah, it was great. And that set looks amazing. Yeah, like it looks, it, looks like it, it fooled people so much that there were some homeless people outside of this location <laughs> trying to get in yes, at one point. Looking for a bed. Like it was weird. It was, it was, it was, it was, it was very complimentary. It was funny. It's also one of those things where you like, uh, you know, you go there on a tech scout with a group of people and it's just an empty space. And like, there's people who are like, Okay, whatever you say, dude. I mean, like everybody else besides Freddie and I going, uh, no, it's gonna be fine. What is this? Yeah, everyone. And we're like, oh no, it'll be this. And And then they show up on the day and they're like, oh shit. Those are good moments to have, Mm -hmm. right? Like where you're like, I mean, I knew it would be okay. If you could shoot it, I totally knew it would be okay. Well, if I can figure out the way I'm gonna shoot it, I have no doubt that you're gonna make it okay. Right. (laughs) Exactly. See, it's trust. It's all about trust. I just have to tell Freddie, I'm gonna look over here. I'm gonna look over here. Probably not this spot. Probably over here. And there'll be stuff there. Yeah. I mean, you know, and I I try to populate the whole world anyway. Mm -hmm. I don't believe that there should be rules where you can only look one or two directions. No, but I have to make rules for myself. Yeah, no, no, I, yeah, you don't I break to, them. You don't have to have rules. I need <laughs> yeah. a couple rules. Yeah. Otherwise, I got to, you know, it's hard to keep directors uh, no, sure. in line. Okay. Yeah, I got you. <laughs> totally. Yes, there have to be some rules. Well, it's funny because we did two movies and we did two hospitals, but neither, not, not, they couldn't have been polar opposites. That, that's the point I was trying to make when I said I forgot mm. something about your seat. These movies, the two movies, we, they're totally polar opposites right? For you, like mm-hmm. the look of men in the line and then the look of this movie. There, no, so you're saying there is opposite. no signature, but it, it, but if I was to see them, I see your signature because, but it's a different signature on each one. But that's good. Yeah. I like that. Right. And also, um, infamous, the other movie that I did. So I even did a movie with Josh before infamous, but that was a very long time ago. Infamous 
the idea behind the lighting and the color of that was all based off of social media and Instagram filters. So the idea was that she's so involved in the social media engagement for that film that the scenes where she is actively engaged or doing something that then would be Instagrammable. So that had like saturation, it had color, it had her world that she thought she lived in, in her own head was super high color, high saturation, high contrast versus the actual world that she was existing in. After I met Josh, uh, I, I watched the movie and to me the you know, it was, it was a beautiful movie and the, the cinematography is what jumps off the screen at you. To, to me, it, it looks far more expensive than it is. Mm-hmm. Like I wouldn't, I don't even, what was the budget on that movie? Was it under two? Mm-hmm. For those movies, there's a whole genre, that's a subgenre. And it, it is definitely like in the top tier of that subgenre. And it looks, you know, it looks, it looks expensive. It looks big. Yeah, it wasn't. It was really hard. You shot in Oklahoma? In Oklahoma. Wow. You guys shot uh, Alexa Mini in that, right? That was Alexa Mini, yep. Yeah. And that was um, just single camera. And it's on Hulu if anybody wants to watch it. So you get to see her beautiful Hulu. work now. Go ahead and watch it. Would pause and watch. I, mean, I had no idea. One camera. Mm-hmm. Wow. You think coverage would be different, difficult with, with just one single camera on that budget? That's a. I don't know. Sometimes I like one camera. I I know that the second one is good because it keeps us moving. But so that's the one of the things that working with Josh Caldwell is that he he's also very decisive when it comes to the shots that he wants. And most of ending the line was single camera. Yeah. There's only a couple second camera on a few days. Right. You know, it's, I, I, if I could always work with just one camera, I would do it. You know, you get thrown a second camera a lot because of time and sometimes it helps and sometimes it actually feels like it slows things down a little bit. Yeah. I, I can see that, but it's funny. I mean, to, to hear you say that because I don't think I've ever heard anyone actually say that before, like that they're okay with it because usually people want two and, and sometimes three. It's like certain uh, sequences. Absolutely. Yeah. Sometimes you need 17 cameras. Yeah. <laughs> With, I mean, working in television or working on shorts or music videos, they're all kind of, they're all very similar in fashion. They're, 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 they're shot on set, they're lit. But tell me about your involvement with working with VR. And I know you did a, a, an Oculus project together. And my son is a, he, I mean, well, last night was using his Oculus headset. He loves that thing. Mm-hmm. How different was that experience? Um, I actually have done a lot in virtual reality. I spent a few years doing it and um, I find it fascinating. I think it's one of the most interesting challenges uh, from a storytelling perspective. And uh, there's a director that I had worked with. This is maybe like five or six or so. I don't know. I have a really bad memory when it comes to time. It's 2022. Okay. (laughs) Oh my God, it is. So maybe like seven years ago. And he was asked by a company that was pushing VR in storytelling and really trying to see what, what filmmakers could do with that. He was asked to shoot a film, two shorts, two or three shorts in a virtual reality space. And that was also at the time when it was very brand new and coming from more of a gaming background, they were like, oh, well, you don't, you don't need your, you know, it's just you, you turn a camera and all this stuff. And he was, well, I want my cinematographer to be there because I don't know how to make movies without a cinematographer. So she's going to do this. And which I'm so grateful for anybody who says that 
Uh, and then that's how I started working with him. So he and I basically is um, director James Kalen. He and I developed a language for virtual reality filmmaking in a storytelling space based on quadrants and taking a spherical image and breaking it up into cardinal directions and quadrants that we would then tell a story from quadrant to quadrant. So instead of having a two-dimensional plane that you're editing together, you're actually editing time in a spatial parameter. So it comes back to the original storytelling methods and framing devices, but they're inside of a spherical space. So like the first thing that you're going to be drawn to is movement. So anything that's moving is where your head's going to turn and look. And I'm sure you've put on a headset. I'm sure everyone has put on a VR headset at this point. And most of the things that are trying to be telling you a story in there are like, not. it's hard. It's really hard to pay attention for more than 10 or 15 minutes. Like if that, so a lot of the stuff that like was working at the beginning was this kind of like, how do you guide someone's attention in front and then like, you know, audio cue them behind with something that they're going to miss. And what is the revisit of this? Like, can people come back and watch the story again and have a different experience? And how many times can they experience that? The whole language behind virtual reality storytelling is like, I could go on for hours about how complicated it is, but I really liked working in that space because it was not a rectangle. It was a sphere. And lighting in that is... I was just going to ask you, is it... I mean, it's it's impossible to do VR without VFX. So you basically take a quadrant or a section and you say, this is my, this is my plate zone. And um, if you have somebody cross, it's just timed well. And a lot of the lighting is built into the set. So it becomes a location, a lot of fixtures, a lot of things that are hidden. Right. Yeah, it was, uh, it was fun. And then one of the bigger projects I did was called Ash 68, which was about Arthur Ashe winning the U.S. Open. Oh, right. And 1968? Yeah. I think so. Yeah. yeah. And that was actually filmed with cinema cameras in a, so most, most of the virtual reality that I had, that I did with James Kalen was on different newer Oculus cameras or um, like there were GoPro rigs. One of the first ones we did, there wasn't even a virtual reality camera that had been built that was cinema. And the company I was working with, Weaver at the time, Steve Golly had built a a 3D printed GoPro rig that was eight cameras, the stereoscopic lenses. so, So two cameras in each direction, but four different angles. You know, there's a difference if it's stereoscopic or monoscopic and how the distance you can get to things similar to just stereoscopic filmmaking in general for 3D. But all to say, one of the the Arthur Ashe project was one of my favorite ones to work on because we could use cinema cameras. And it was one of the most challenging things to figure out the technical differences between this high speed frame rate that we had to film because of slow motion aspects that was combining sand art animation into the actual piece. And we couldn't do it on any actual virtual reality, like 360 camera. So we just used a nodal head filmed 180 degrees in one direction, flipped around the nodal point and filmed 180 degrees in the other direction and then stitched them together. That's crazy. Yeah. I was going to ask you that, that, that difference between working, normally working in a 180 space and having to go and having to think in 360. And I, I was going to ask if you ever had to do that. And it makes a lot of oh, sense. I've, yeah. 
Yeah. I've only ever filmed one virtual reality project in 180. Everything else has been 360. <sighs> yeah. And it's basically four, it's four quadrants. It's four different areas you have to think about. And it's four times more complicated. <laughs> Good God. Good God. <laughs> It was, it's really fun. It's really fun. And it was really the most fun to show people. I had some of the earliest projects at Sundance when they had new frontiers and was just starting virtual reality and, um, watching people watch it for the first time was, and still to this day is one of my favorite things. Cause you can't unsee it. Right. Once you see that you're in the matrix, Right. you can't go back. And it was so it was like little power trip to be like, I'm going to show you something and you're <laughs> never going to come back from this experience. See, this is a good segue right into point break. <laughs> I mean, yeah. it's exactly what point right. break is. Yeah. 